The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Our scripture lesson this morning is from Exodus 20, verse 12, and it says this, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we pray that you would make your word powerful and active in our hearts and in our lives today. Amen. Uh, I, I think that I get why they asked me to preach on this passage since my wife and I have the most kids of anyone on the preaching rotation. Um, but then again, it's like, have you ever seen me with my kids? Like, I clearly know nothing about getting children to honor their father and mother. Like, at all. Uh, one time... A few years ago when Isaiah was about three, uh, we went to an Anglican church. Uh, I, I know, you know, uh, one of the things about multicultural church is every once in a while you have to get your fix from where you came from. I know some of y'all know about that. Uh, and so one, one time, Rebecca and I, we gotta, we gotta go get our fix in one of these high Anglican churches. So we, we went and visited and you know, they've got the kneelers. So that they kneel. So they got these big, heavy metal kneelers with some cushions on the top and they fold up when you're standing or sitting you can fold them down so you can kneel on them but they're metal so if they come down hard they make like a sound you know except for even louder than that and uh, so i was kneeling right and and isaiah crept up to the row in front of me where the kneelers were up and i could see in his little devious hard-hearted self that he was about to slam that kneeler down and so being a good biblical father i looked at him i said don't you do it. And he looked at me, and he grabbed it, and he went, bam! And then he sprinted for the next one. I was like, oh no, biblical dadhood. So I come up over the pew, grab him by the arm, lift him back over. We're visitors in a church of about 55 people. Okay, so uh, it was quite a spectacle of what happens when honor your father and mother isn't upheld. So I don't know why they asked me to preach on this one, because I don't know anything about it. But what I do know is that if we want to get what the Bible is telling us with this honor your father and mother business, we have to understand the larger context of the Ten Commandments. It's easy to see the Ten Commandments as kind of like generic principles for all people at all times. And in one sense, they are that, because the God who gives us the Ten Commandments is the Creator God, the God who creates the world. And so in some senses, the Ten Commandments are like wise living in God's good world. But that's actually not how God introduces the Ten Commandments. The way that God introduces the Ten Commandments is He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, therefore... And so the Ten Commandments, including the fifth one, honor your father and mother, are part of the covenant legislation. They're the political laws of the good king. They're like the Constitution, the summary of the good laws that our good king has given us. And if we want to understand this fifth commandment, we need to remember that context. And I think if we do that, we're going to see at least three things. First, we're going to see that the fifth commandment challenges us to parent as citizens of God's kingdom. The fifth commandment, which is addressed primarily to people thinking about their parents, by implication challenges us to parent as citizens of God's kingdom. See, if we read the fifth commandment as one of the king's good laws for life in his kingdom, for citizenship life in his kingdom then we can't understand honor your father and mother without asking what are fathers and mothers for? 
What do fathers and mothers do in Israel? What is the job description of fathers and mothers living in the kingdom that the Lord who brought us out of Egypt is the king over? And what we find in the first five books of the Old Testament in particular, not least in Exodus and Deuteronomy where the fifth commandment is, is that the role of parents, their primary job is to pass on the story of God's faithfulness to his people. The primary job of parents in the kingdom of God is to tell their children the story, to introduce them to this God who brought us up out of Egypt. We see this everywhere. Listen to selections from Deuteronomy 6. This is the chapter that immediately follows the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. It says this, Now these are the commandments, statutes, and ordinances that the Lord your God instructed me to teach you, so that you may carry them out in the land where you are headed, and that you may so revere your, the Lord your God that you will keep all his statutes and commandments that I am giving you. You, your children, and your grandchildren, all your lives to prolong your days. And then verse 4. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you must love the Lord your God with your whole mind, your whole being, and all your strength. These words I am commanding you today must be kept in mind. And you must teach them to your children. And speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, and as you get up. You should tie these commands as a reminder on your forearm and fasten them as symbols on your forehead. Inscribe them on the door frames of your houses and gates. And then again in verse 20, when your children ask you later on, what's up with all these statutes, stipulations, and ordinances that the Lord our God commanded you? So the children are saying, what's the, what's the deal with all these commandments that God commanded you, mom and dad? You must say to them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt in a powerful way. And he brought signs and great devastating wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh and on his whole family before our eyes. The Lord delivered us from there so that he could give us the land he had promised our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these statutes and to revere him so that it may always go well for us and he may preserve us as he has to this day. We will be innocent and we carefully keep all these commandments before the Lord our God just as he demands. Do you hear what parents are for in the kingdom of God in those passages? See, the world knows that parents are for like raising your kids and making sure they get food, clothing, and shelter. And we agree with that. Those are important parts of responsibility. But as the people of God, we recognize that the primary task... The primary task is to live the sorts of lives with Jesus that our children ask questions and say, why do you do it like that? Why do you talk like that? Why do you work like that? Why are you friends with those people? Why are you participating in church that way? And then we say, because my King Jesus died for me. To free me from sin and death. To purchase me full abundant life in the now and in the forever. And son or daughter, you too are welcomed into such a family. If you will but embrace this same story. What parents are for in the kingdom of God is raising up citizens of God's kingdom. And as a parent of like 78 children, six and under personally... 
I have four, but they feel like 78. Uh, I am amazed as I look at my life and I look at your lives and I look at the lives of our culture. We live in an age that places unbearable burdens on parents to raise incredibly well-adjusted kids. Well-adjusted kids who can win in the economy. Well-adjusted kids who can win in society. Well-adjusted kids who can win in finding a spouse. Well-adjusted kids who can win at being emotionally healthy. And all of these things are important. But our text comes us and takes us by the shoulders and says, Are you raising children who are well-adjusted for the kingdom of God? Are we raising children who are well-adjusted for the kingdom of God? In my own life, I'm surprised by how much it matters to me how my four-year-old competes in soccer. That's so lame. But it matters to me. I'm surprised by how much my six-year-old's kindergarten... I mean, they're still just basically smiley faces. But it bothers me if I think he's not the very best and brightest, right? It bothers me... When I feel like my kids are being left out because other parents are letting their kids do things that we don't do. Right? And it's clear to me that I live under this weight to raise well-adjusted, wealthy, healthy, wise Americans. And often forget that my primary task is to raise well-adjusted citizens of God's kingdom. And that raising well-adjusted citizens of God's kingdom may actually mean failure at being healthy, wealthy, and wise in the citizenship of this world. Let me tell you an ugly secret. For two years, I was a missionary in Kenya. I met lots of missionaries. Nairobi has a ton of missionaries. The average missionary, from my experience, has multiple parents, often believing parents, occasionally pastor parents, who are actively undermining their call to the mission field because they do not support them in following Jesus. Because being a missionary puts you at odds with being a healthy, wealthy, wise citizen of this country? Are there ways that we fail to raise our children to follow God, even when it costs them? Uh, I wonder sometimes, when we talk about the Ten Commandments and we want them in public buildings and we want them in all these places, and I think all that's great, but do we remember that when we take on the role of being parents... Honor your father and mother isn't just about getting our wayward children to obey. It's being parents faithful to raise up our kids to pay attention to all that other stuff. All that other stuff like justice and justice only you will do, says the Lord in Deuteronomy 16. Stuff like Deuteronomy 15 that says, You open wide your hand and give of your possessions sufficient for your needy brother's need, even at great cost to you. Things like Deuteronomy 10, when it says, you will welcome the immigrant and stranger. You will love the immigrant and stranger, giving them food and clothing and shelter, because I love the immigrant and stranger. Being immigrant-loving, debt-forgiving, justice-doing Christians will put our children at odds with the society that we live in. And so we're forced to ask ourselves, what kind of children are we raising? One scholar puts it this way. I find myself in this quote. This is an extended quote. I think it's up there. It says, But the biggest failure, the biggest sadness of so many people of my generation, including parents, educators, and leaders in the church, 
is our failure to pass along our faith in a compelling way to the generation now taking our place. We can blame this on the confusion of the times. We can blame it on our own mistakes in teaching or pedagogy. But the real reason faith doesn't matter to so many of our young adults and teens is that too often it didn't really matter to us. Not enough to shape our lives. Not enough for us to suffer for it. I know there are tens of thousands of exceptions to this, but it is still true. A man can't give what he doesn't have. If we want to change the culture of a nation, we need to begin by taking a hard look at the thing we call our own faith. If we don't radiate the love of God with passion and courage and the example of our daily lives, nobody else will. Least of all, the young people who see us most clearly and know us most intimately I'm here talking about how Christians are strangers in a strange land, but the real problem in America today isn't that we believers are foreigners. It's that our children and grandchildren aren't. And I want to hear God's word to me as a parent today. And I want to share God's word with you who are parents today and ask you, when you ask yourself, what do I want most above all things? For my son and my daughter. What is my top priority? And then I want you to ask yourself. What would your children say. Is most important to you in your life. And what would your children say. Is most important to you in their life. And I fear that far too often. The answer that my children would not give. Is becoming a citizen in God's kingdom. So the fifth commandment challenges us to remember parents are worthy of honor because parents play a vital role in passing on the story of God and discipling our children to live in it. But secondly, the fifth commandment calls us to honor and respect our parents. Neither in Deuteronomy or Exodus does it say obey, interestingly enough, because sometimes we ought not to obey our parents. But we are always, everywhere, to honor them. Uh, the Old Testament scholar Brevard Child suggests that to honor means to prize highly, to show respect, to glorify and exalt. Moreover, it has nuances of caring for and showing affection. I got really excited in this sermon because I thought I was going to get to like trash my children for 30 minutes for not obeying me enough, um, which is going to be really, you know, cathartic. Um, in front of all of you who see them not obeying me week in and week out. Uh, And then I started studying this passage and I realized the primary address, the primary recipients of the fifth commandment are not young children to adult parents. It's adult parents to their own aging parents. And then I was like, this sermon is really going to be miserable to present. I don't want to talk about that. But you see... The Old Testament context makes it clear that there was a temptation in Israel that when parents became old, grandparents you might say, became old so they could not work the way they used to, they couldn't contribute to the economic vitality of the community that is the, in the ways that they used to, there was a temptation that adult children would drive their parents out of their homes or would fail to care for them economically and socially. We know this because this is the way Jesus talked about the fifth commandment. In the book of Mark, he accuses the Pharisees of using a religious oath to get out of their responsibility for taking care of their parents economically. He's not talking to little kids who throw the kneeler down at that point. Jesus is talking to adult parents who are saying, I'm sick and tired of taking care of my elderly parents. 
I'm going to use some religious language to get out of caring for them financially. And Jesus says, uh, trying to get out of your obligation to care for your parents financially is breaking the fifth commandment. And as I look at my own life and my own day, uh, I had this really formative experience. There's a pastor in Chattanooga, his name's Randy Neighbors. He's one of my heroes. When I was a freshman in college, we were in a meeting, and I was like super on fire for Jesus, and I like knew that he'd called me to really, really great things, and I was going to do awesome stuff for God. Lots of these expectations have been chastened over the years. Uh, but at that time, I was like, I was like really interested in doing the hardcore mission stuff, right? Like, give me the. And so I asked Randy, I said, Pastor Neighbors, give me like the, what's the, what's the economic, what's the justice challenge of our day? You know, give me that. And he was like, you know, uh, a lot of baby boomers are getting old and there really aren't that many people to care for them. I'm like, no, thank you. Check, please. Uh, that ain't super sexy, Randy. I don't know of any justice conferences going. I'm not sure I can get on the justice conference circuit talking about my elderly parents. Do you have anything else on your list of, of, of service opportunities? Right? But, but right here in the fifth commandment, in one of the ten, ten words that God gives to his people, one of them is to say, we owe honor and respect and care for the elderly among us, and specifically our parents and our grandparents. And just like in Old Testament and New Testament times, there were challenges that made that difficult, I think we face some of those things today. We live in a culture addicted to speed, to success, to productivity, and that also has allowed people to live a lot longer than they used to. And what that means is, a lot of us will live to a long old age, long after we can compete and produce at the speed that our society says we ought to. And when people reach that stage either because of age or disease or something else, they often feel worthless, like a burden to society, like they can't contribute, like they have nothing to give, like they're lonely and isolated. And I think if we're honest, those of us who are younger often agree with that assessment. And if I'm honest, in my life I've spent very little time thinking about my obligation to my... uh, Literal and spiritual forefathers and foremothers. But the Bible calls us right here to take the time and the energy to provide for the elderly and specifically our parents and grandparents, both financially and emotionally. You see, if our parents are the people who pass on the faith once for all time to us, then we owe them honor and respect and care and friendship all the way to the end. And it's easy to do this with kids, right? We talk about this all the time, how parenting children is hard and difficult, but it's a noble task because they carry the future. And that kind of language makes it hard to think about caring for elderly people who are beginning to not be able to care for themselves again because it's like, what's the point? Their time has passed. And I think we have this logic in our head that says, well, they're kind of, you know, make way for the young folks. But this cult of youth leaves our spiritual mothers and fathers lonely and isolated, uncared for, and it leaves us lacking their spiritual and wise advice and care and investment. And so one thing I want to say here is that if you're like me and you're a self-absorbed jerk, you need to start thinking about this stuff. 
right? I need to start thinking about how I treat with my time and my money and my planning, my grandparents and parents and other elderly people. But I also know from watching my parents, my my mother and father, who who are strong believers and who have showed me the way in so many things. But one thing I've overlooked until recently is just how godly the work has been that they have embraced to care for their aging parents. If you look at my parents' life in their late 50s, their days are spent attending doctor's visits, helping uh, family members with, with Alzheimer's figure, you know, pay their taxes and find a place to live and make sure they have adequate care and going to visits and sitting with them and making sure that they have places to go on holidays and that my grandkids, their, grand, their great-grandkids get out to see them. And if you're in that position where you're beginning to take care of people, uh, your parents and others who are older than you, I just want you to know, you are doing the Lord's work. You are acting justice in our community. You are serving God. And I know from watching my parents that it takes you away from work. Sometimes it even takes you away from church. And I want you to know that the Lord is with you. And you are fulfilling one of the ten commandments that he has commanded us for all time. And I'm grateful for your experience and advice. And I want to learn from it. But secondly, of course, the call to honor our parents includes also children. So if you're a young person today, I want you to know you are also included in this passage. The Apostle Paul picks up the passage and says, Hey kids, honor your father and mother because your life will go long. Now it's easy for us to think about children, if you're in here. Maybe my wife took them all out. But if you're in here, it's easy for us to think. Like that's some kind of magic. Like if I obey my parents, God will like magically beam long life. And maybe there's some of that. But most of it is because our parents are trying to show us the wise, righteous way of life that we can't get because we're immature. We're we're immature. And I was thinking of this song by Merle Haggard. Um, I I don't listen to Merle Haggard. I only know it because the Grateful Dead covered it. And I can't sing it. Um, But it goes, this is the chorus. I turned 21 in prison doing life without parole. No one could steer me right, but Mama tried, Mama tried. Mama tried to raise me better, but her pleading I denied. That leaves only me to blame, because Mama tried. And I've always liked that song, but I've never known why. And I realized, preparing for this sermon, it's because I've heard so many people tell me that story. I've had, I've had so many people say, Michael, my life got off on the wrong track. I made terrible decisions. I've suffered a ton if I'd only listened to my mother and father. Right? That's not because your mother and father are Jesus. It's because they're older and wiser and hopefully they're following Jesus. And so if you're a kid or a young person, I want to challenge you. Your parents, the Old Testament says, hold wise words for your good. And if it's hard to remember that, just take it as a law from God that you have to do it. And I think that's why God commands us to do it here. He gives us the medicine that's good for us. Pay attention to the folks who are ahead of you. Listen to them. Respect them. Obey them. But, you know, even as I say that, I know that we don't all have parents who lived up to this high calling. Some of us have parents who are absent. Some of us have parents who failed. Some of the parents told us the wrong thing. And some of you are like me who had phenomenal parents and are constantly aware that that's not enough. And so the third thing that the fifth commandment tells us is that because in Christ the church is the family of God, the fifth commandment calls us to join in the task of spiritually parenting those younger than us and honoring our spiritual elders in the community of faith. 
See, the fifth commandment is primarily about our nuclear families, our children and our descendants below us, and our adults, parents and grandparents above us. But in the church, we have an entire family of spiritual fathers and mothers and spiritual children, and the fifth commandment challenges us to shepherd our spiritual children, those younger in the faith, to be citizens of the kingdom of God, and to keep seeking wisdom and to honor and revere those spiritual fathers and mothers above us who are still trying to help us become citizens of God. This sermon series, the staff has talked about how the emphasis is on we. We want to be a we, right, in this church. Aaron says it every week. Uh, we want our friends, our, our guests to become our friends and our friends to become our family. The fifth commandment gives us a window into what kind of family we ought to be. A family that is constantly looking for wisdom and opportunities to honor our spiritual elders. And continually looking for opportunities to shepherd and tell the story and invest in the children spiritually in our midst. This means that the fifth commandment is not just about the way that we care economically and socially for our own parents and grandparents. It means that in the church we have an obligation for the physical and emotional and spiritual well-being of God's people all the way until they go and be with Jesus. This church ought to be a place that learns how to respect and seek wisdom and walk with saints until they go to be with God. And one of the things that means, and I want to say this very clearly, sometimes I feel like in the church, discipleship is this kind of fad word that we talk about. And, and when we talk about it, we have this, like I used to say, the way I was discipled to be a disciple maker was like Starbucks discipleship. Like discipleship was not happening if it wasn't 6 a.m. with a cup of coffee between you and the other person. Right? And, and, and it was really awkward because I was supposed to go out to people like, hey, can I disciple you? Which just feels weird, you know? And when I was 18, somebody said to me, they said, listen, this is Todd Erickson, the youth pastor, he was in the youth pastor second phrase. I said, look, I know that when you were 17, we came to you and said, hey, we want to disciple you. It's like, that ends next week when you graduate from high school. People are not going to come to you and say, uh, hey, I want to disciple you. Okay, maybe through college. But then it's over with. From now on, if you need wisdom, if you need maturing, if you need discipleship, you look around and you go ask for it. And you go to people and you say, I am not as far on the road as you are, and I need someone who is further to invest in me. Now, I want you to just look, everybody just look around, look around the room, look around the room. As you do, some of you know people, you can identify the people who are spiritually ahead of you in the faith. Every single person in this room who is spiritually ahead of you in the faith feels really stinking awkward about coming to you and saying, may I disciple you? Every single one of them. Can I get an amen? Do y'all not, I mean, maybe some of you don't, but I do, right? But is there a single, every single one of those people that you just looked at? would be honored, overjoyed, and affirmed to have you go to them and say, I need some investment in my life from someone who's further down the road. They might have to say no, but they'd be honored to be asked. What if we had a church where the culture was, we knew what we needed, and we knew where we could get it? If you come down here for prayer this morning, let's say you're new, you don't know who these people are. You come down for prayer, you say to me or one of these other people who's praying, I need someone older, invest in my life, we'll find somebody by the end of this next week. Find, we need to be people who seek out spiritual eldership in our lives. We need to have people who are ahead of us. 
And, and I'm going to say this again. I said it already. I didn't mean to say it. I didn't plan to say it. I'm going to say it again. In our culture, there is a cult of youth going on. We are obsessed with the idea that the, the next generation is the secret to everything. And we are isolating the people who have the wisdom and the maturity and the courage and the street cred to keep us on the straight and narrow. And we need to find folks and be a church where we find folks who are ahead of us and say, please, you've got something I need. Will you help me get it? And then second of all, we, we pass that on to the people below us and particularly the children in this congregation. For some of you, the weirdest thing we do in this church is baptize babies. I'm aware of that. Okay, So nothing I'm about to say means that you have to baptize your babies. But at our church, one of the things we do is we baptize the babies. And when we talk about baptizing the babies, we say baptism is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace for believers and their children. And when we baptize our babies, and I've now baptized, like I said, 1,700 of them or so in my family, four, um, The most moving part for me is when the congregation, the members of this church stand up and they say, I commit to provide nurture, support, and a godly example in assuming with the parents the spiritual oversight of the child. And if you remember this church, you stood up and said, yes, I assume responsibility. With Michael and Rebecca. To be an example. To be teaching them. To be investing in them. And that commitment that we make ought to be reflective of of, of a character trait that we have as a church for all of our children. Baptized or not. Where the children who show up, we say, I accept responsibility. I know sometimes you've looked at me, you've seen me do that gorilla thing over the pew. And you're like, that Michael, he's what a terrible person. It's your job too. Okay? That's what the fifth commandment means. It means you're on, you're on the hook as well. I mean, it's like one of the most universal things in human life to look at parents and go, oh, where, look, children, oh, where are the parents? It's all the parents. Where are the parents? Well, we got a room full of them, folks. It's all of us. It's all of us. And we are called by God. And if you're a member of this church, you've taken vows. Just as surely as I've promised to be faithful to my spouse. I've committed before God to share the responsibility. It really does take a village, and this is our village. This is our village. And we are called to be the sort of parents to those downstream of us spiritually, and especially the children, the sorts of parents for whom one day our children will be able to say, I asked my mom and dad, and I asked my spiritual moms and dads, why do we do this? And my spiritual moms and dads said, Because Jesus saved us from our sin. And he brought us out. And he's the one who brings justice unto victory. And he's the one who protects the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. And he's the one who's on his way and makes life meaningful and purposeful and calls you as a citizen of his kingdom. I remember vividly when I was a kid. I don't remember very much. I remember that I used to hide in the bushes because I didn't want to go to church. Uh... I don't know what I thought my parents were going to do. Like, just leave me in the bushes? That makes no sense. It makes literally no sense. So I was young enough to be really stupid. But you know what I also remember? I remember playing on the ground in the pew and looking up and seeing my dad with his Bible on his lap leaned in, listening to the Word of God. And I knew when I saw him and I knew in his life 
that he was learning to be a citizen of God's kingdom. And I learned by watching him even in the pews that what life was about was hearing a word from beyond, from the king, and submitting my life to it. And now I have the privilege of not just having my own children sitting in the pew, looking at me, but even today, of sitting right here, my son Ames, with my dear brother Nate Kirsch, watching one of his spiritual fathers show him that life is about becoming a citizen in God's kingdom. Let's be a church like that. Now I'm going to be real practical. I mean, one thing is, if you're in a community group with parents, parents are always dying all the time. That's like the nature of our life. We're miserable. We need a way out. Please rescue us. So get involved. Nate's not part of a ministry with my children. He's just gotten to know them over three or four years being in our community group. And there's a whole bunch of folks like that. Rhoda Baines, Anna Hollage, Callie Dixon, Daniel Warner. These guys have all become spiritual fathers and mothers to my children just by showing up in my house and us becoming family together. But it can also happen very practically. Uh, right now, the nursery needs two different volunteer roles. One is as people who just show up and love on these kids. And another is for people who will go in and teach our infant children. One of the biggest privileges of having infant children is realizing how quickly they start learning. My two-year-old can sing every word to U2's latest album. It's kind of scary. And there are people over there right now who are teaching her to sing every word to Jesus Loves Me. Who are teaching her to recite God's word. You could be one of those people on Sunday mornings. And you can talk to uh, Jesse, and, um, who I want to call Harris, but that's not your last name anymore. Jesse Harvey and Danielle Shelley, if you want to talk about volunteering. And if you want to talk about teaching, you can look for Gretchen Robel. If, as I say your name, wave if you're out there. Uh, you might have noticed the uh, hot new children's ministry director that we have on staff here, who I happen to be married to. Uh, she's got all sorts of ways for you to get involved in the kindergarten through fifth grade ministries. Uh, one time a month, you can sign up to go out when our kids or some of our kids go out for children's worship and be a teacher, small group leader. Uh, we're looking for people to help teach Sunday school every week. You get here at 845, teach our kids about Jesus. Teach them the old, old story about a God who brought his people up out of bondage again and again and again. We have children who for a variety of reasons are here without their parents at least some Sundays. You can talk to Rebecca about signing up to say, hey, I'll just let somebody who's not here with their parents sit with our family. And just let them watch what it's like to be a citizen of God's kingdom when we meet him here. Or you can sign up to be a big brother and a big sister. This is a new volunteer role. We want to try to connect. We've been watching how Ames and Isaiah and Nova and Jubilee have connected to people in our family and Rebecca wants to give every kid in our K-5 through program an opportunity to have an adult whose job it is to just be their friend and love them. So if you want to be a big brother and a big sister to an elementary student in our ministry, you can talk to Rebecca about that. Uh, two weeks ago, I got the opportunity to talk in the job summer job program that Terrence Gray and Justice and Yunay are all part of. Man, we have an incredible group of youth in this church. And we have an incredible group of youth leaders. And what God is doing is very exciting. And you could sign up today. Talk to Terrence, email him, or whatever. There he is. He's the only one who followed my rule about waving. Uh, okay, there's Gretchen. There's Gretchen. You waved? Okay, Gretchen for elementary No, Gretchen for nursery. Terrence for... And we're having an interest meeting next Sunday. 
30 minutes. You can find about all this. But Terrence is looking for mentors. Who go, you just eat lunch. I think they'll feed you. I think you can get free lunch every two weeks, right? Second and fourth Sunday. That's not bad. All you got to do is hang out with two or three of our youth and tell them about Jesus. Nice work if you can get it, right? Okay, so this, the fifth commandment calls us to become spiritual seekers of spiritual eldership. People who aggressively seek spiritual wisdom from our spiritual elders. And spiritual parents to those under us. To become a family. And so as I close, this is what I want to say. The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother at the end of the day, is just one specific way that we do what Jesus said. Love the Lord with all your might and all your soul and all your strength. Be totally sold out to God. And if you do that, love your neighbor as yourself. The fifth commandment calls us to be such committed citizens of God's kingdom that we learn to be good children of our elders, literal and spiritual, and good parents to our children, literal and spiritual. And so if you are a member of this church, if you are an attender of this church, if this is your church home, I want to challenge you this morning. Let's make this community our family. Let's really do that. God has called you, not in the abstract. He's called you here, to this place, to these people. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And if anyone is in Christ, we have fellowship with his son and with the brothers and sisters. Let me introduce you to some of them. They're here. It's time for us to get to work, to grow deeper and being family. The kind of family that loves and cares for and respects and honors children from the womb all the way to the grave for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbors here and in the world. And if you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus, we're going to invite some of our elders and community group leaders to come down and pray. And I want to invite you, whether you know Jesus or not, to come and get prayer. But specifically, I want to say to those of you who may not know Jesus, uh, this is a really great message for you. While you were a sinner, enslaved in sin, unable to obey, constantly failing even your own standards to say nothing of God's, God came in the flesh and died on a cross and rose from the dead to make you a part of his family. And if that wasn't good news enough, that means that when you get Jesus, you get a whole bunch of family members. And some of them are right here. If you are lonely, if you are suffering under your own or someone else's sin, there is a family here for you that would love to walk with you in a relationship with the God who is our perfect Father and who sent His Son Jesus to be our perfect brother and who calls us into an imperfect family that by God's grace is becoming a people who can together tell the story, say we were in bondage and God in His overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love chased us down, washed us clean, saved us for today and tomorrow and forever and brought us into a family where we can find meaning and purpose and life forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus, you are a good, good father. That's who you are. And we are asking that you would make us who are so often lousy sons and daughters 
lousy mothers and fathers to make us like you, Jesus. Jesus, make us like you. Transform our hearts. Transform our lives. Give us your spirit so that we can walk in the newness of life. God, so that we can love and honor and seek out guidance from our parents and grandparents, our spiritual grandparents and parents, and so that we can be the sort of parents and spiritual parents that you've called us to be in this place. And God, if there is anyone here who does not know you, who's not been welcomed into this family, God, would you bring them now? Would you move in their hearts by the power of your spirit and welcome them to eternal life now and forever? We ask these things in your name. Amen.